good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. We're looking tonight at 1 Samuel 22. And the first two verses of uh, this chapter where the Word of God says, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. In Acts chapter 11, in the New Testament, Barnabas is sent to Antioch. Believers from Jerusalem, following the persecution of Saul, have seen souls saved there. You know Saul stands at the time of Stephen's death. He breathes out threatenings. There's a scattering of the believers. And some of those go to Antioch. And so the Jerusalem church sent Barnabas to encourage the believers there. And as he encourages them, he exhorts them that they would cleave unto the Lord. That they would cleave unto the Lord Now we saw this morning that there are different words used in the Bible to describe the exercise of the believer's faith. And in a similar way, there are a number of different verbs that are used to describe our relationship with Christ. Describing our relationship unto Christ. You have Acts chapter 16, believe on the Lord Jesus. There's a A relationship there. We are to believe into Christ. We are to believe upon Christ. You've also got Colossians chapter 2. That as we've received Christ Jesus, so we are to walk in him. There's a relationship. We walk in union with him. We walk in conformity to him. Another place, Luke chapter 9, Christ says to believers to follow him. So there's believe, there's walk, there's follow. But in Acts chapter 11, the word that is used is the word Cleave. We are to cleave unto the Lord. Now, please note, uh, this is not speaking of salvation itself. This is Barnabas coming to those who have been saved by the grace of God. Those who were exhorted to cleave were already recipients of grace. They've already trusted in the Lord. Thus, the advice here is given to believers in terms of their attachment to Christ. To cleave. To stick close to. The word speaks of steadfast loyalty. And it is that word loyalty that I want you to think about tonight. The believer's loyalty to Christ Jesus. It is loyalty that we have pictured for us here in 1 Samuel 22. David has defeated Goliath. You know the story very well. He becomes a general in Saul's army uh, in the previous chapter. We read the refrain of the dancers. Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. David becomes a national hero. And at the same time he becomes a threat to Saul the king. At this time, the fact that he's been anointed as king by Samuel also lingers in the background of the narrative. We have an an anointed king to be. 
a conquering and a victorious general, and one who is a threat to the reigning king. In the province of God, Saul's wrath increases and David is forced to flee, even feigning madness in the previous chapter to escape danger. And so thus, in chapter 22, we see an anointed king, a conquering general, one who is despised and rejected of men. We see one who is a threat to the reigning king. And we see one who I believe points us in our hearts towards our Christ. We read the Psalm 142. There's also the Psalm 57 that are both Psalms attributed to David in the cave. And they clearly have messianic overturns, overtones. There's, there's a sense looking forward that David, burdened with his rejection, then points us forward to Christ, the ultimate son of David. He would come in the fullness of time and yet find himself rejected of his own. And so I think it is legitimate to take the words here of 1 Samuel 22 and to see how do they point to our relationship with Christ Jesus. Yes, in picture form. Yes, in typical form. But there's a type here to encourage us to reflect again upon the subject of our loyalty to Christ Jesus. If Barnabas was here, If you're standing in this pulpit, I I believe with all of my heart, he would say to you all that you must continue to cleave unto the Lord. You have believed on Christ. You have known Christ for many years, but it is your responsibility to continue in your loyalty to Christ Jesus. And so first of all, we should note that loyalty arises out of affection for the king. Our loyalty arises in our souls out of our affection that we have for the king. Loyalty for Christ will begin with a coming to Christ. If you're going to cleave to Christ, you've got to get to Christ first. You can't stick close to Christ unless you've come to him for saving uh, mercies. And thus... There is a going to Christ and a giving of your allegiance to Christ. There is a sense in which you say, I am on the Lord's side. I will serve the king. Now in verse number one, it describes the brethren and the father's house. They went down thither to him. Now that term uh, describes a physical moving. It describes a, a geographical transfer from one place to another. But in the second verse, It describes those who come that they gather themselves unto him. And that's picture language for their loyalty. They huddle themselves around David. They gather themselves together in one place in a a display of their loyalty to Christ. Note their initial condition. There are two separate groups here. Initially, in verse number one, there is the group, his brethren and all his father's house. This is a group that initially were either hostile to David or at best apathetic towards him. When do we first read of David in the scriptures? Well, of course, it is when Samuel comes to anoint the future king. The brothers are all there. These tall, strapping men with all of their strength and all of their physical presence. 
And David, he's immediately despised of his brethren. He's the one who's doing that menial task of looking after the sheep. He's afar off. He's not there at that time initially. Until Samuel asks the questions and he's, he's brought alongside. David, we read, is the one who comes to the battle. Goliath is shouting his threats against the people of God. He's bringing reproach to the name of God. David comes along and they say to him, you're just here because you're nosy. You have no right to be here. You're just here to see a good fight. Such was the brother's thoughts towards their brother David. They had no allegiance to him. They were hostile. They were certainly apathetic towards him and towards God, what God was doing in his life. The other group then, well, we could describe them not so much as being apathetic, but as being needy. Look how they're described. They're in distress, they're in debt, and they're discontented. Uh, the, the words mean what they say. Uh, they are in an upset state. They are distressed in soul. They are in debt, financial debt. They're in great need. They are discontented. And I think all of these descriptions refer to those who are discontent under the reign of Saul. If you think back to the time when the people of Israel want a king, that they're warned of Samuel, you get a king, be careful what you ask for. He'll take your daughters, he'll take your horses, he'll take your money. And Saul certainly was not a spiritually minded king. And thus I think what you see here are those who are not happy under Saul's reign. Saul's reign has impacted their lives. They're distressed, they're in debt, and they're discontented. They are serving a carnal king and suffering for it. Now I think when you put these two groups together, don't we see a very vivid description of what it is to be out of Christ without God in the world? Think back to the days before you were converted. What were your thoughts of Christ? But at the very best, you were apathetic, if not outwardly hostile. You, you, you heard of this man Jesus, but you had not put your trust in him because you thought you didn't need to. That's the very best that can be said of you in your unconverted state. You may have some passing interest, but he did not command your affection. He had not commanded your heart. You had not given your allegiance to him. You had not come to serve him. Of course, that may have been your attitude to Christ, but your actual state when you came to see your sin was to be in distress and in debt and discontented. You see, those who have come to David in the cave are those who have come to see their needs. They've come to understand that this is a, a terrible state to be in. To serve under a carnal king has led to nothing but misery. And so it is by God's grace. We who once were apathetic to Christ come to see the awful consequences of living under Satan's rule. He was our king. He was the prince of the power of the air. We were living according to him. Ephesians chapter 2. And though we were dead in sin, we served a wicked master. But we come to our senses. We come to see that we're in debt to God. We come to see that in the bank balance of heaven, we, we owe the Lord an infinite debt that we cannot pay. We feel distress and turmoil. 
And so in turn, we go to Christ. And so that is the initial condition of this company. And then in the second place, note their reception of David. They gather themselves unto him. What changed here? What was it that caused these people to come and align themselves with David? Well, of course, we have his defeat of Goliath. David is the willing, conquering hero. I, I, can't, I can't really take myself into the, the situation of standing upon that hill. The vast company. Undoubtedly, it had been rumoured around the camp. There's this young kid, and he's, he's going to take on Goliath. And what's more, Saul has authorised it. And then perhaps the soldiers standing there, and they're, they're rubbing their eyes. And their brothers are uh, mouths wide open. As not only does David go to Goliath, but he runs toward him. He runs vigorously, enthusiastically, because he knows the Lord's on his side. And so you see in David one who comes as the willing, conquering hero. Further to that, he has these great victories over the enemies. It was not just a one-hit wonder for David. He didn't just have one success. He's a multitude of successes. And so, if you turn, please, to 1 Samuel 18, you see, you see really what's happening here. You read in the verse number 14 of 1 Samuel 18. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. You see what's changed here? Within the hearts of this company, they've come to love David. They've come to love David. I said to you in the heading of this particular point, loyalty comes out of, arises out of an affection for the king. Loyalty is present toward those whom we love. There's a loyalty for a husband toward a wife. There's a loyalty for a father towards a child. There are these natural loyalties that we know expressed in this world. But here we see a supernatural loyalty. A love has arisen in their hearts and they come to love. And therefore they are loyal toward King David. You see, our allegiance to David's greater son, our allegiance to Christ, will not simply come because we recognize our need. But loyalty comes as we come to love him in his person. We love him as our conquering captain. We love him as our victor and as our compassionate friend. It is at the very core, the very essence of what it is to be a Christian. It is to be a lover of Christ. I was talking to a man this week regarding evangelism. And one of the increasing trends in the modern day is to confront people with the law of God regarding their sin. The Ten Commandments is a very important thing to do, that people come to see their sinfulness. But I made the point to this man, and I believe with all of my heart, that convincing people of their sinfulness does not make them Christians. 
It doesn't. They become sad and miserable. But it is vital in our evangelism that we tell people about Christ Jesus. Because they may feel their need and they may feel their burden. But if they have not been taught regarding Christ, they will not love Christ. They might hate their sin, but they will not love Christ. And so it is vital from the pulpits and from the pew that we tell people and we show them the glory of Christ. For when Peter was recommissioned, the question was very simple. Not have you repented, not are you sad, but lovest thou me? Central to being a Christian is having a love for Christ Jesus. And the Lord himself says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now sometimes we read that and we think, well, keeping the commandments is a proof of our love. And we take it in that order. If we obey, we prove our love. But actually, if we love, we will be loyal. If we love, we will obey. Our obedience comes out of love. It's not simply that obedience proves love, it does. But our love for Christ stimulates our hearts of obedience, stimulates our lives of adoration for Christ. And so do we love Christ? Iniquity shall abound, and the love of many shall wax cold. Where do we stand in terms of our love for Christ Jesus? We love because he first loved us. I was meditating this afternoon about this, and I just jotted down a number of things. Because I, I know that in your hearts you have come to love the Lord. But what is it? What is it about Christ that caused you to love the Lord? Well, surely you see him being tender with sinners. You read the scriptures. You see one who behaves himself wisely with sinners, like David of old. He's tender towards the bruised reed. He doesn't quench the smoking flax. He treats those who are guilty of sin with tenderness and with compassion. He says to the multitude, come unto me, you labor, you're heavy laden. There's rest for you. And he, he has that compassionate heart towards sinners. And we see that tenderness. We would not love one who was harsh and cruel towards the sinner. We love one who's so tender to those who come to him for mercy. We see him as tender with sinners. We see his tears in Gethsemane, don't we? We read that account in the Gospels. And we see him faced with a cup of God's wrath. And we see him there. And he sweats those drops of blood from his brow. Because he's agonizing over our souls. But he determines in his heart. I will go the way of the cross. I will drink the cup. I will accept the hour. I will ensure that I give my life a ransom for sinners. And we see him in the garden. And we cannot but love him who first loved our souls. That he ensures in the garden those tears that fall. They are the tears that epitomize John 13 verse 1. He loves his own and he loves them to the end. And we see his tears in Gethsemane. We love him because we see his triumph on Calvary. He could have called for the angels. But no, 
He endures to the end on Calvary's tree as the darkness descends upon him. And he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And we understand that he cries that cry so that we would not be forsaken of God. He suffers what we deserve. He suffers for our sins. And darkness descends to the point that he can say, in triumph, finished. The work is done. It's accomplished. And we read those words. And we love him who first loved us. We move from apathy. We move from hostility to see one who loved us. And so we love him in return. We read the truth of his words. We read his word in the word of God. And we read one who never lies to us. Never once deceives us. Tells us that even as his people through much tribulation we must enter the kingdom. We, we hear those words. We experience those things. He is the one who assures us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And we hear those words. We are, he is the one who we see at a throne of grace. A great high priest. Touched with a feeling of our infirmities. And we know as we behold our Saviour, the Lamb that was slain upon that throne, we behold our Saviour. And we see a high priest who's willing to give his grace to help in time of need. And so in our hearts we've come to know his touch of care. But we've read the word, but those of us who have been saved, we can think back to times in our lives that we thought we would not cope. The waves are over our souls, but he comes and with his touch, he lifts us out of our misery. He lifts us out of our despondency and he gives us that grace to press on and keep on going. We know that Christ lives. He lives within my heart. And we know that to be true in our experience. Not only do we see Christ in the word, we see Christ in our very lives. And so we've come to love him, haven't we? Oh, once upon a time we were, we were cold and heartless towards the Saviour. But we have come to love him. And it is as we love him that we are determined to cleave unto him. True loyalty arises from an affection for Christ. But in the second place, note that loyalty is then seen in a public association with the king. In 1 Samuel 22 again it says and he became a captain over them I think we should note initially his willingness to receive them it's okay to hide on your own it's hard to hide with 400 men we shouldn't miss this David realizes that there is Within the call of God in his life, the necessity to sacrifice self for the good of his people. And so he receives them. I just think of the simple terms in the word of God that Christ is not ashamed to call us brethren. We think we're doing the Lord a favor sometimes. You know, I'm going to call you my king and my Lord. And we forget the fact that the Lord is pleased to bring weak and sinful people, discontented people in debt, people in distress. And the Lord is prepared to take the absolute hopelessness of our lives 
and bring us into his company. But of course, we do see in this company their willingness to associate with David. We've read of his anguish in Psalm 142. We've, we've seen the sorrows. They were willing to associate with one who was the anointed king, a conquering king. But at that time, they were associated with one who's escaped in a cave. We think of our Saviour afresh. We think of how he describes his own, his own life. And you think of Matthew chapter 8 and the verse number 20 where it says, The foxes of holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. We think of John's gospel in the chapter 8. It ends, And every man went unto his own house. And verse 1 of chapter 8 then says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. The Lord had no home at that place. He's a homeless, outcast, despised and rejected of his own people. Even his own brothers, like David, had not yet received him. They were not doing the will of Christ. They were natural brothers, but they had not yet received him. You see, to align ourselves with Christ is to align ourselves with his sufferings. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, in the verse number 12, Paul says, If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. What is it to deny Christ? It's the very opposite of loyalty. And so if we are loyal to Christ, there is a recognition that we must suffer for Christ. You see, do we love Christ so that we are prepared to associate with him, even though he is despised in this world? It is increasing the case that being a Christian is a hindrance to position and to prominence and to prosperity. The false prosperity gospel is so because it tells a lie from the pit of hell. Have Christ and avoid suffering. Have Christ and enjoy prosperity. When the Bible says, have Christ and get suffering, have Christ and reject prosperity. You see, if you have Christ in a world that hates Christ, you can be sure that you will suffer much tribulation. But this company in the cave of Adullam are prepared for that. They're prepared to come under David as their captain. And so we are prepared to come under Christ as our captain. The great cry of belief in the New Testament church was that Jesus is Lord. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170. Or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.